Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is August 31st, and I have a really, really great show for you this week. Uh, first and foremost, I <clears throat> had a little call for questions on social networking sites and on this podcast for a new segment called Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. And you guys came through in spades. I got a whole bunch of questions, far too many to include in just one episode. So we're, uh, we, well, which Zaftig and myself pulled two questions. I asked her the questions, and with her expertise and a little bit of research, she answered them. It is a fantastic new segment for Nine Cents, which I am very excited for, and I am very excited to share with you. And that's going to be actually in the middle of the show. So if you have any questions after you hear it or before you hear it, <laughs> whatever point you're hearing this, uh, shoot it off emails at info at ninecentspodcast.com, and during the segment itself, she will give you another email that is specific to her, and that will... Uh, that's actually probably the best way to do it, but <laughs> just so you know for now. If you send them to me, I'll send them to her. Uh, any questions you have about religion or esotericism or magic or whatever. A lot of good stuff. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear that. <clears throat> All right, so the very top of the show, in Nine Cents Letters, I got a, I got a, an email that it wasn't really a formal question, but it was the Ice Bucket Good Guy Badge. And this individual I've had a little bit of correspondence with before, uh, Smart smart person. I'm really excited that they uh, brought this out. It's uh, a third side perspective, not coming from me, but I'm going to uh, add on to it, hopefully in a good way. So I hope you guys uh, enjoy that coming up. Ice Bucket Good Guy Badge. And in the creature feature at the tail end of the show, I've been watching BoJack Horseman on Netflix. I'm going to give you my review. Sneak peek of the review is... uh, I want to like it a lot more than I do. All right, so that's going to do it for the actual formal show. Let me just say at the very top there, that uh, really wonderful intro I would like if I made to take you on a strange journey. That was fantastic. I really, really appreciate stuff like that. If you want to give me your own, you can call my Google Voice account at 801-899-6168. It goes straight to a digital answering machine. You can play your or try to record your track as many times as you want and then save or delete as you like. But again, 801-899-6168, and you can leave me your own top drop. And I truly appreciate those of you who have in the past and who will after hearing this. Uh, okay, so i got a couple issues that I want to kind of cover before I dive into the show formally here. Um, <laughs> uh, this, this drives me crazy, okay? So uh, I... I build websites. Part of my living comes from, formerly I'm a graphic designer, trained graphic designer. So I do a lot of different things under that. That is a very large tent. Uh, part of what I do is design websites. And by extension, I work mildly with SEO and with search engine optimization. So your sites come up earlier in search results. And... Um, uh, a little bit of web marketing goes goes in with it as well. And what I what drives me nuts is okay, so let me bring it to specifics here. Uh, so I, I'm contracting out work with this company who I went through the long arduous design process of building their current website. Um, it has generated more traffic. To the point where they cannot handle, they don't even want to consider 
doing any advertising because they're, they're crazy busy with the amount of pickup that they've had solely based on the website work, which is really, really exciting for me and I suppose terrifying for them. Um, it brings in more new people, but more existing visitors. So people who regularly come to the website, they come back more often and they stay longer on the website and they're visiting more pages. And I say this because those are quantifiable ways of measuring the success of a website. Obviously, every website has goals, whether it's e-commerce, lead capturing, or just informational. Um, this one's a lead capturing website. Um, so, by every possible way of measuring success, this has been a very, very successful website for them. Is it my favorite design? No, it's not, because I have to obviously contend with the the, the powers that be in this company, and they they got what they wanted, which actually looks really good, and I did my best to um, deliver, and I obviously did. But uh, they asked me, how do you think we could reach a larger audience? And I say, well, you need to have a marketing uh, team, and I wouldn't just have one of your guys that does some of the work kind of go in on and start doing some of the marketing. You really need to go to a professional uh, you know, I don't know if you do an intern who is studying marketing or if you hire a professional, but either way, you should get a professional to do your marketing and that will help you with your business as well. And so what the, all they heard was intern the first time. And so this little punk of a kid who doesn't know shit about shit comes up and he's like, well, I don't like this about the website, and I don't like this about the website, and we should change this about the website. And everything that you do, as far as design and specifically websites, there has to be a reason other than you feel like or you like. Because it's not for you, it's for the target demographic that you're building it for. I know this isn't very exciting for those of you who are tuning in on For Satan. <laughs> But it's just part of what drives me crazy is that you, and this, you know, you can carry parallels with lesser magic. It's not what you like. You're not trying to convince yourself of something. It's what your target likes. You're trying to convince your target of something. So either buy my product or buy me, if you're using it for lesser magic, this is what you, it's, it's key to understanding when it comes to putting yourself together, putting, you know, how you behave, how you interact with other people, etc. But this little piece of shit doesn't fucking understand that. And so I go through the long, arduous process of explaining why things are the way they are and doing every bit that I can to meet him halfway without compromising the, by and large, outright success of what I've done for them so far. Um, the results don't change. They still are as successful as they were before, which is good, but you know, his changes didn't really do anything for him. Um, and so, uh, he ended up just staying for the summer. So he just left and they just hired on a new marketing individual. So the first thing I did this time after the horrible experience I had with the last guy that they hired was say, uh, what do you study? Are you currently in school? And he's like, oh, I went to X high school. <laughs> And here's a, here's a key to all of you out there. If someone asks you what school you went to, 
They don't care about your high school. They don't want to know what classes you took in kindergarten. How how good of a you stayed in between the lines in your coloring. They want to know about college. They don't want to know about high school. So immediately I know this kid is not on the level. And every kid out there thinks that they know everything about everything because they can search on Google or because they know what they like. But again, you're not designing to you, you're designing to your target market. Now, if this company was targeting uh, early 20-year-old pieces of shit with no taste, well then I would definitely listen to what you have to say. But more to the point, this guy doesn't know anything about marketing, and so I am stuck in a position yet again. Oh, and oh, yeah, here's the wonderful thing. And so I say, not high school, your, your college, what college did you go to? He's like, oh, I haven't finished. Well, okay, you could be an intern in my head. What are you studying? Oh, I don't know, I, I stopped going. So this kid isn't even freaking educated. So I'm like, well, why are you the new marketing manager? And he said, with a straight face, my parents, are in the marketing industry. So apparently, marketing is genetic. And because his parents are in marketing, he, he must have been in an astute study of his parents growing up. And he uh, just absorbed all marketing information enough to qualify and fool the owners of this company enough for him to be the marketing manager. Unbelievable. So basically, everything I told them that they should do and should get, they ignored and got the first douchebag that they thought would be hip and cool and bring up their social presence, even though they don't understand what that means. And this kid obviously doesn't understand what that means because he must be, he must be sharing around cat memes because there's nothing that he's suggesting that makes any sense at all. And it all goes back to that tried and true idiot. Response. I feel like this isn't... I, I I don't understand why... Well, of course you don't understand because you didn't study it! Because you don't know shit about shit! Sorry, I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> Just trying to contain the frustration. that I have to... Every time I have to explain to these people, no, this is not about what you want. It is not. You have to be able to have perspective. And this carries through, as I said before, with Lesser Magic and every Satanist out there. If you're trying to capture that that girl of your dreams or that guy of your dreams, and you just can't figure out why they're not paying attention to you, take a step back and get a little perspective. Find out what they want, and then give it to them. People are more than willing to eat up whatever shit you dish out on a plate, as long as it's in the way that they're comfortable and that they want it. They will eat the shit! Just give it to them the way they want it to be given to them. Don't give it to them the way you want or you think they want. There is a difference, and it is important understanding the difference. There's a whole book written for this, <laughs> which has actually helped me in my career a lot. Uh, the Satanic Witch. Obviously, Anton Zanelvay wrote this thing. There's a reason why it still is relevant, and it works so well because it works with basic psychology, and it is 100% accurate and true. And it carries through to professional life. So, even though this douchebag kid is never going to read it, never going to understand it, and I'm going to have to deal with him until he gets fired in a month because he doesn't know anything about what they hired him for, um, I'm still going to have to meet this kid halfway. It's just insane. It's insane. Uh, luckily, I'm in the business of, well, if I have to redesign a website, you must realize that I will get compensated for my time. <laughs> 
it costs a lot of money, you know from the first time. So if you're willing to cash it over, I will build whatever you want. I will do it however you want. If you're not going to listen to my advice, that's fine. I'll still take your money. But don't expect success. And that's really what it comes down to. In business, you can only push someone so far before they're just like, no, do it my way. Say, okay, your way it is. These are the potential repercussions. And if they are met, you cannot blame me. Be honest with them. Don't be a dick. Be professional, but be honest. And that's, that's exactly where I am right now. Uh, speaking of being a dick. Last thing here before we start. I know I'm... Eh. I, I rant a lot. Um, okay, so this, uh, we, we I think I mentioned on the podcast, we just got a um, trampoline. And so the neighbors on the other side of our yard uh, gave us a call and said, hey, how much did you pay? Where did you go? Do you have any suggestions? Blah, blah. Because our daughters play together. Um, and so we told him, and then his wife comes over today, and she's like, can you help us? We can't figure this out. So I'm like, sure, no problem. Go over there. And these these are country folk. <laughs> I Traditionally in the past, I would have meant that in a derogatory way, but I don't mean it that way right now. They just are country very much. Um, and they're trying to figure this out. And I ended up helping them put it together and get it all set. But in the process, I had this window into seeing me through the eyes of these people. And I was not happy with what I saw. I, I, it, and I'm going to have to ask you guys your opinion on this. So if you can, you know, shoot me some commentary and social networking or stuff. Oh, let me say really quick, for those of you who are responding to social networking posts or on YouTube, thank you very much for those comments. I don't always have time to, like, reply to them, but I read every single one. So I really appreciate those comments, uh, even the weird ones that have nothing to do with me or the show. There's just like, there's, uh, side note, there's like a group of people listening to these. They're like tagging them and referencing other weird things that I have yet to explore what it is. But it's like I'm watching this conversation happen that has nothing to do with Satanism or Nine Cents specifically. It's just like this, these other people who happen to be having the conversation on the feed of my pot. Anyway, it's weird. Um, okay, so I went over to help this guy. You know, starting basic light conversation, we're talking about our kids and daycare and school and stuff like that. And then he, I was like, so what do you do? And he's like, oh, I do this and it's all blue collar all the way. And then uh, his wife chimes in, oh, I do this and it's all blue collar all the way. And I very much am not a blue collar guy. I'm a very much white. You wouldn't know it from looking at me, but like just professionally, obviously I'm a designer. I don't, I don't actually work for a living. I mean, when I was a kid, my stepdad said... The smartest thing you can do in life is get paid for what you know, not get paid for what you do. And I have heeded that, and it has been a wonderful strategy to date. So I do not plan on changing it. But, uh, and I, I don't care if you're blue collar, that's an honest living. I dig that. I totally do. I hire, but, and that sounds derogatory in and of itself. I don't mean it to be. But I hire professionals to do things because they are professionals. They're craftsmen and tradesmen, and I, I respect it. I don't pretend to do it. I would rather lean on their professionalism and expertise. So I totally respect it. Um, but when he asks me what I do, and I say, oh, I gotta be honest, I don't really work for a living. I'm a graphic designer. He gave me a look that I can't tell if it was like, I don't know what it was, but it, it felt bad <laughs> the way he looked at me. Like, you worthless, snotty little shit. 
You know, that's kind of what I felt like. And then um, I was talking because we have chickens and obviously a garden and everything. And I had my wife bring over some beer. And so I was telling him about home brewing. And, and it got to this point where I, I immediately felt like every time he looked at me, he was saying with his eyes, you are a pretentious home brewing, gardening, egg having, designing, worthless piece of shit of a neighbor. Like I got to the point where he was seeing me as a personification, like, like this braggart. Of this, like, I don't know, hippie trying to be, like, one with all things and, ooh, I can one-up you and everything. But I genuinely was not trying to do that. It was just the reflection that I was getting from him that made me feel really, really weird. So, I don't, I mean, have you guys had this experience? Does, does this happen to you? Should I just hold my fucking hobby cards a little closer to the vest and not, you know, just sort of talk about it? I mean, we were putting together his trampoline, and so I figured having a little light conversation was good, but uh, it, I really think it made me look like an idiot. <laughs> like I was trying to one-up him or something. I totally wasn't. So I don't know. Let me know what you think. Uh, you're probably going to say I'm a pretentious douchebag, but that's okay. Uh, I Anyway, either way. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, let's start the show. A little nonsense letters. Uh, this is going to be a good one. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Saint. Hey, Adam. I keep reading of this new craze called the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. It's another one of those awareness gimmicks that pop up every now and then. After reading the rules, it seems kind of stupid. If you refuse to dump water on yourself, you have to give a donation. If you dump water on yourself, how does that actually aid in research of the disease? I feel it's a bandwagon that people hop onto publicly. Uh... I'm sorry, hop on to publicly display their good guy badge and feel good about themselves, while at the same time not actually doing anything at all to contribute to the cause that they claim to fight. I imagine you've heard of this, so I was wondering uh, what your take on this phenomenon is. Uh, I have actually heard of this. I have been staying away from it. Part of the, the glory of me not being an active member of social networking is that it took me a very long time to even hear about this. Like, it literally was one week ago that I heard about this. Last Monday, uh, as I'm recording this. So I, I was like, what the hell is this? Uh, and so I, again, also looked it up myself. And it's actually for the uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS disease. Um, and the, the whole thing is you dump a bucket of ice on your head, or you donate, and you name two other people that have to either donate or dump a bucket of water on their head. And I guess the notion is that people would rather donate their money than dump the ice on their head. Um, but because we live in such a narcissistic world, and everyone wants to be a reality star and have their own hit YouTube channel... No one is donating and everyone is dumping the ice on their head. So it may have started as good intentions, but that never really works out, especially if you're going to do a social media gimmick like this. I mean, people are going to obviously take it and run with it and make it just to promote themselves. Like, ooh, look at me, look at me, I'm part of this too. Go ALS. And at what point does it become... Pro the disease, not anti the disease. Because <laughs> you're doing it in the name of the disease, but you're not actually giving any money. So 
You're literally just promoting the disease. <laughs> it's weird, right? Um, no, I, and again, just like you know, the the author of the letter put in there. This is very much uh, just our culture trying to find a way to make ourselves feel valuable or worthwhile in this sort of hollow life that is social media. Um, social media has caused a, a growth of offline depression because obviously whenever you read people's posts online the by and large the majority of everything is "Ooh, i'm doing this exciting thing or i've done or i've gotten or we're going to and and it's all super hyped and positive and and when when normal people are just looking at their newsfeed and every single one popping up posts are doing these exciting wonderful things and you're sitting in your underwear in your garage with your depressing life, of course you're not going to feel up to par with them. So you you look for those cat memes or whatever, and you share that instead. Or you dump a bucket of ice on your head. And let me just say this really quick. If you really want to help spread awareness and generate money for something, make the consequence bad. <laughs> like, really make it bad. Like, you take a razor to your wrist or... Donate $20 to ALS. <laughs> now, I know that there is a group of people out there that would take the razor to their wrist, but wouldn't we all be better off if they did? So let's kind of... Let's kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> kill? Uh, so to speak. I think that's a really good idea. Let's do overdose on drugs or donate to the American Cancer Society. That's my personal favorite as a previous smoker. That's right. Donate money to the American Cancer Society or overdose on drugs. I think it's a wonderful solution to not only cancer, but also getting rid of those shit heel social media herd sheep out there. We... <laughs> I hope no one listening to this has done this stupid ice bucket challenge. Look, if you want to get rid of ALS, if it's affected you somehow in your life or it's, it's a cause that you feel it's worth donating to or bringing awareness to, by all means, donate your money. Share information about it. But if you're going to go out of your way to record a video and call out to other people, you're not doing it for the disease. And don't pretend like you are. You're doing it so that you have this gigantic ALS badge that you can pin on your forehead, just like the author of this uh, Nine Cents Letter said, saying, look at me, I am special, I am helping other people, aren't I a good person? Well, guess what? I don't want, I don't care about you good people, because you're not really good, it's just a phony-ass badge that you have. It's not real. If it was real, and let's say there's this idea of what a really, a good person really is, you would do it and never want anyone to hear about it. <laughs> like, it's amazing whenever you hear about a, um, uh, um, an, an actor or, uh, uh, um, uh, I can't even think right now, I'm sorry, a politician or someone who dies. And then suddenly all this information comes out that, oh, they've been, you know, donating their time and their money or, or something to all these different groups that no one even knew about. It's amazing, like, they kept it under the wraps. You know why? Because those are actually good people. The, and, and here's, I don't, I'm not encouraging goodness for anyone. And I'm just saying, 
if you're a good person, you don't seek reward for those things that you're doing. <laughs> Truly good people do it because they want to solve a problem or they want to aid in an effort. So, for example, if animals is your thing, you have an event and then you generate the money and then you put the money to the cause... But, and that's the end of it. But you don't walk around with, you know, like cheering out, look how good I am, I've helped these poor kittens, or or look at me, this disease is no much the better for my stunt, but I participated. Like, there's nothing good about that. It doesn't actually help anyone. Okay, so let's do this. Let's do the overdose or slit the wrist. We're going to tie that in there because that's a good one. Or donate to the American Cancer Society. All right, come on, people. Let's start seeing those videos fill up. Satanists for cancer. And then we could have our good guy badge. Wouldn't that be exciting? Oh, no, man. If you want to donate to something, just donate to it. Don't, don't make a big theatric about it. Theatrics are for you. It's not for other people. These videos, they're for other people. They're not for you. Uh, don't be stupid. So anyway, yeah, I, I'm really excited that I didn't hear about this up until a week ago. I feel really shitty for having heard about it and hearing, as just a reminder, how, how shallow people are and, and how pathetic our culture has become that everyone wants to have their 10 seconds of fame. And hey, I, and this is the other thing. I don't, I don't even, if you want fame, go after it. Fight for it. Earn it. But... Jumping on at someone else's bandwagon so you can have 10 seconds is not fame. And you actually don't get anything for it. Real fame, uh, setting goals and accomplishing them, there's actual rewards for that. A uh, sense of self-worth that lasts. Uh, monetary, uh, usually, <laughs> um, recompense. Uh, uh, an immediate sense of gratification. Uh, for those who know you and appreciation for who and what you are, which you're never going to get for doing these stupid stunts. I mean, set goals in real life and meet real goals. It, it, if you want to be the manager, then become a study of the manager. Find out his faults and use those to usurp him and, and make sure you're actually qualified for the position that you're trying to go for. And go for that position. Do everything you can to be the best version of you, whatever that means. And if you need to use uh, greater magic or lesser magic along the way, well, you should obviously be using lesser magic, then, you know, get in there, decompression chamber, and do a ritual and, and, and help move yourself forward. That is real success. That is real fame. Earning it. Hollow 15 seconds on a YouTube channel is not earning it, and it's not worth it. And though it is sad to say, one in a million will find some genuine monetary success from stunts like this, or from accidental uh, incredible beauty or something, uh, and, and, you know, reality TV shows or something. But the rest of us, we have lives to lead. We have loved ones to care for, and we have goals to meet and crush. So let's focus on those and not so much the douchebags and the celebrities who, who's really celebrating them because it's not me. I don't, I don't care about that shit. All right. Um, thank you for writing in. And if you listeners would like to write in a nine cents letter, uh, shoot it off. Info at 
9centspodcast.com. Let me know. Let me know what you think of the ALS challenge. Let me know what you uh, think of uh, (laughs) the commentary. And if you did an ALS ALS challenge and you send it to me, I promise I will not share it with anyone and I will think less of you. (laughs) Just say it. If you care. Alright, let's uh let's do Oh yes! Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. This is so good. Coming up. Fascination is a binding, which comes from the spirit of the witch, through the eyes of him that is bewitched. Entering Fascination is a binding. Now the instrument of fascination is the spirit. Namely a certain pure, lucid subtlety generated of the pure blood of the witch by the heat of the heart. Welcome to the very first of uh Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. This is a segment where uh, Nine Cents' own Witch Zaftig answers your questions about new religious movements, religion, popular culture, magic, esotericism, and of course, Satanism. I'm very, very pleased and uh, honored to have Witch Zaftig on the line with me. How are you? My dear. Well, how are you? <laughs> uh, no, it is an absolute honor to have you on the show. Um, I might be a little thrown because I'm uh, not only hearing the dulcet tones of which is Zaftig, but I'm also looking into her lovely eyes. So bear with me, audience. I'll try not to be a little 12 year old boy. <laughs> a weird. Giggle, giggle. So. Which is Zaftig. Before we start answering some of these questions, and first let me also say to the audience, thank you so much for your interaction. Thank you so much for your interest in uh, these new segments that we put out. We never really know if we're going to get any back and forth from you. And so it's really exciting when we do. And we received a bunch of questions. And at the end of this segment, we will let you know how you can send in further questions that I'm sure you're going to have uh Obviously, on its face, whenever there's like, hey, send in your questions or send in you X or Y, you never really know how it's going to pan out, so you don't know if you really want to contribute or not. Once you hear this, you're going to want to contribute, and so we're going to let you know how you can uh, for future episodes. And this is going to be something, because of the number of questions we've received already, that we probably will be doing uh, a number of times here in the future on 9 cents. So look forward to that, as I will. But let's talk a little bit about you with Zaftig. Uh, where are you from? Well, I live in uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, yeah. I go to university here. I grew up in the country of rural Quebec, but I'm now a city girl. Uh, so I speak two languages um, fluently and a few others here and there. And <laughs> Show off. <laughs> you know, I can order beer and I can curse. So I think I'm, I'm set there on it. There it is. <laughs> I'm doing, uh, I'm a PhD candidate in uh, the Department of Religion at my university and uh, working on, uh, my broad area is new religious movements, um, ritual studies, magic, witchcraft, esotericism. Uh, I like to tell people when they ask me what I focus on is anytime there's something that makes you uncomfortable, I gravitate towards it. If it's something that someone says, don't look at this door, then I have to walk right up to the door and say, this one, this one right here. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one I want to study. So it's not always about controversial topics, although that does um, come into it. But sometimes it's about uh, things that are not often looked at uh, in whatever type of angle or things that are ignored or um, something that no one's done before. You want to be uh, creative in your work, even if it is academic, which can seem quite uh, rigid. 
um, to me, those, uh, the best academics are one that have a lot of creativity. So I'm, I'm interested in those areas. What, let me do a little discovery here on how you got into this path, because I can't imagine you're a little girl like, I'm going to make tons of money. Let's study religion. <laughs> <laughs> I just... No, definitely not. <laughs> so what's the end game for, for a, a discipline like that? Well, I sort of uh, fell into it, first of all. Um, I'm actually a high school dropout, so it wasn't something that I had uh, dreamt of in my youth. I was bored in school quite a bit and felt suffocated, and I would actually skip school and go to the library. So I like to read a lot, and um, my mother was disheartened that I had skipped school, but um, no one could really tell me what to do. So. I worked for a long time. I was a nanny for a good uh, 10 years and cleaned houses, walked dogs, uh, did that kind of thing. And around, I believe, in my mid-20s, I went back to school as an independent, mature student, um, took a couple of courses uh, here and there just to see what I liked. You can do that in Canada without having finished. I had finished my high school degree eventually through um, adult ed, Right. got the credits. and. Um, so the first couple of years in my bachelor, I wasn't a great student, I wasn't a horrible student, but I didn't necessarily know how to be a student. I was working, I worked as an administrator in emergency rooms, uh, I don't know, at a deli, I had all kinds of jobs, right? Yeah. And, um, uh, but I used to get these comments on my papers uh, from a lot of teachers that would say, you have good ideas, but you don't know how to write an essay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I took a course on how to write an essay and, and worked on the English part of it, the format, you know, how to make a proper argument, uh, rhetoric. And suddenly my grades uh, went from, you know, a nice B average to uh, a very nice consistent A average. And uh, I continued after that because I was encouraged to do so. And because I was always interested in topics that were a little unusual, I sort of fell into my current topic because I got a good response. So um, my supervisors and my teachers said, if you want to go this route, if you want to look at Satanism or magic, um, you know, that's great because they, even if there's no one in my department that specializes in this, I've uh, made an effort to seek out other scholars that do, that are not part of my university, that will help give you feedback because any good work or research absolutely requires someone to rip it apart if it needs it constructively. So right. uh, my supervisors, uh, especially my main uh, supervisor, he's fantastic, been very supportive of uh, me going out on this limb and taking a risk. And uh, he's into someone taking risks and he always pulls me back in when he needs me to uh, focus on what's important and evidence and arguments. and. Uh, to make a stronger paper. So I've become quite good at taking um, criticism. I don't take it personally. So it, I think falling into this is not about the money, <laughs> certainly not. Yeah. Academics dream of writing a fantastic book that sells millions. Um, the reality of those that actually do that is incredibly small um, because we, it's, you know, there's limited funds. It's just one of those things. We're all sort of scrambling yeah. for uh, grants and fellowships. Um, but apart from that, I think one of the reasons um, that I think coming into it a bit older is that it was always a challenge 
So I'd had all kinds of jobs, that some, even some of them that paid well-ish. But you get bored. Um, if you're not constantly learning something and constantly uh, challenging yourself, for me, it's a, a small death. So Whoa. academia was something that no matter what, even with its frustrations and uh, sometimes it's extreme loneliness because you're so wrapped up in your own <laughs> topic and research, um, and its financial challenges always does very much present an intellectual um, uh, you know, goal for me, something to think about, something to challenge how I see the world, something to uh, very much be active. You know, it feels like such an active thing for me to constantly be introduced to new ideas, constantly be able to think about them and then write about them in a coherent fashion. And it's a, it's, it never, if it's stagnant, it's horrible scholarship. So I'm constantly trying to push forward with um, my ideas. Some work, some don't. Um, that's the nature of it. But that's why I responded to it mostly. And then I finally did win some awards, which presented a really nice, um, uh, you know, gratification for me. Like, oh, this is finally paying off. It was a long, <laughs> <laughs> it took a long time for it to pay off financially. But when it finally did, at least in terms of receiving awards, receiving uh, full support from my department in school, then it sort of proved to me that this was something that I should uh, continue. Nice. Well, let me ask you, were, at what point during this uh, journey did, were you first introduced to Satanism? Very early on, actually, as an undergraduate. So that would have been, um, how many years ago? A long time now. <laughs> um, so 2006, I believe it was. So eight years. Wow. Yeah, about eight years now. So I had a course on cults. Um, of course, I ended up teaching, actually, eventually, last year. Uh, and the professor said, I want you to choose a group that's controversial. That was the assignment. You choose a group that's controversial, and you contrast and compare what you find on the Internet. That was the assignment. And so Satanism wow. seemed perfectly suitable because there's so much conflicting information. And as I was reading through... Uh, and then looking at the differences between different self-identified groups, because we know there's all kinds of uh, different groups, um, uh, I gravitated a lot towards uh, Church of Satan and um, thought, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 it was very much like, a, I can't believe I'm totally digging this. Like, like, not only do I find this sympathetic, like, I'm, I'm really into it. Like, what is happening here? It was a really nice interesting feeling for me to be like, I've never quite responded to anything, you know, especially since I didn't uh, expect to. Yeah. I didn't expect to have an aversion to it. Very little surprises me anymore. You know, you, you study different cultures, you're going to learn about some weird shit. <laughs> but uh, yeah. um, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to be like, oh, I totally, <laughs> I'm, I'm digging it. This is, this, is a, this is a thing, you know, and it never quite uh, went away. So when did you uh, decide to join the, the organization? Uh, I think it was within a year, more or less. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I thought about it for a long time. I was interacting online and um, a little bit with other Satanists and thinking about it. But I wanted to be sure, um, even though if immediately I felt a resonance, I didn't want to just jump into it. I'm a lot more cautious than that. So I took some time to really 
you know, for me, a year seemed a good enough <laughs> period. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, this isn't going away. And uh, it doesn't seem like it's a flash in the pan. I'm not very much a flash in the pan kind of person, but still, I, I like to be cautious about a decision that seemed to me quite monumental. I mean, I'd never joined a religion before, so I didn't necessarily yeah. think <laughs> it should be entered into lightly. Oh, all right. Well, I'm actually really excited to hear what you have to say about some of these questions. So if you're all right, let's go ahead and dive into a couple of them. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So because we've received so many questions from so many different people, I, I'm really just going to be randomly choosing these. Um, now, of course, which Zaptic has had her eyes on them for uh, a little bit. So, you know, expect that uh, we may not get to your question this episode or next episode, but if we have enough time, we will get to all of them. So just keep that in mind. And we do, obviously, you know, if there's a question that you send that is covered by someone else's question or, um, you know, is, is more or less interesting than another, we may be shuffling them around. But we're going to be trying to put these together so that they uh, make sense in a cohesive episode unit structure, but also just uh, are as entertaining as possible for the listeners. So just keep that in mind as you submit them. Right, so the first one here, uh, I have a question about a reference LeVay makes in the Satanic Bible. In the chapter about Black Mass, there is mention of, quote, the last Satanic priestess, Madame Goyon, or <laughs> something. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Madame Goyon, as uh, it would be pronounced in French. Uh, so she was a French uh, mystic, uh, born in uh, 1648 to 1717. Um, the, your listener asks about this reference to the last satanic uh, priestess, which um, the listener finds curious because there isn't much information on her in reference to Satanism. And, um, and sort of wondering about uh, LaVey's use of framing her as a uh, priestess of Satan. So your listener is uh, correct as far as I could tell. There is no overt reference to her uh, in regards to Satanism. She was very much uh, a Christian, very much a mystic, and involved in theology. But what is interesting about her theology is that she uh, is part of this um, reformist movement um, that influences American theology. So even though she's from France, she assigns herself as the spiritual authority uh, and rejects institutionalized uh, religion. She re re rejects especially the clerical and papist authority of the Catholic Church. <clears throat> and uh, when she does this, um, I mean, a lot happens in her life, as far as I could tell. Um, there is, it takes a, a lot of time, but she does, she's imprisoned at one point in Bastille. But I think the point for LeVay, if I'm, uh, I'm guessing, but I assume, is that she focused very much on the experiential. So what you experience, you as the sole individual, the autonomy, can know God. And uh, even though her work then uh, becomes highly influential for some of the early American movements, like the Quakers, uh, some Methodists, the Quietists, um, because they were rejecting church authority and clerical authority. So they're very much about you and your experience, you as the individual, know God. One, another thing that is important to remember about um, Christian mystics, especially women, is that there is an interesting dynamic between how women with spiritual authority then address the authority around her. 
So there is this long tradition of Christian mystics that even if they gain uh, followers, write texts, are educated, they often always include in their interpretations of their visions, oh, this isn't me. I have no control over this. Um, it's God doing it. And they're very careful. They walk this line of not saying uh, that they are an authority. Because once they do, they often get in trouble, sometimes are imprisoned or excommunicated or uh, executed. So there's this sort of gender and authority um, spheres interacting always with a lot of female Christian mystics. I think Guyon has a similar, she inherits this tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead of um, deferring to authority, she knows, states, no, this is me. It is my experience. It is me as the individual which is kind of unusual. And you can see, even within Christian theology, how that might influence a lot of uh, Americanism, American Christianity, very much based on the individual. So even if contemporary Satanists reject the notion of theology as a whole, um, some of these ideas still permeate the culture. Individualism, autonomy, experience, um, this is you, you are the sole authority. So my guess is that he puts the emphasis as her as a satanic priestess because she's reflecting some of these ideas, you know, autonomy mm -hmm. and individualism into her theology. Um, and for her to be independent, especially as a female mystic uh, in this way, is a little bit unusual. There's not very many of them. There are some, um, but so that's a, a, a commendable thing. There's also got to be a little bit of, um, you know, the fact that, that uh, Anton LaVey was the first to officially sort of codify what it meant to be satanic, that he would then apply that going backwards to, you know, this is a de facto historical Satanist. This is a de facto Satanist uh, that I'm referencing, not they actually had a red card that, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not... So we, we always have to kind of keep that in mind. And, and our next question is actually going to be addressing some of those ideas further. So I, I think that's, that's really so much more detailed and uh, really interesting the way you uh, delivered that. I, I would have n had no idea how to answer that question. So It is my bread and butter, so um, <laughs> yeah. degree is worth something at least. Um. <laughs> uh, well, uh, do you want to do the second one here? Yes, please. Let's do it. Okay. In your studies, have you encountered a group that existed before the Church of Satan that claimed to practice Satanism and whose members identified themselves as Satanists? Well, the short answer is no, absolutely not. In a, in a group uh, codified in a coherent way with um, fixed principles, um, no, there is no self-identified group uh, that call themselves Satanists. However, um, LaVey himself is not born in the vacuum. He's responding to a tradition of philosophers, artists, um, even uh, mystics, occultists, that are looking at this figure of Satan uh, and Lucifer, however they're uh, defining it, the demonic even, and showing sympathies for the devil. Because uh, some of these writers are... Um, and thinkers are looking at this figure and saying, every time there's something that challenges the status quo, it's labeled as satanic. And what is that? What is that about? How come you cannot challenge the status quo or ask the difficult questions? So they're showing sympathy for this figure in different ways. Some are using the word uh, Satanist to describe 
things that are not theirs. So my form of Christianity is good, obviously, and yours is satanic. And then that particular group says, no, 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 my form of Christianity is the best and yours is satanic. So it, it exists as a rhetorical tool. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there are others like, say, uh, Madame Blavatsky, you know, who was certainly a mystic in uh, many ways into a, a lot of different uh, occult things. She had a, a newsletter uh, called Lucifer, and it was about exploring different ideas and uh, um, had a certain sympathy for this notion of what it means to be someone who goes against the grain, who goes deeper to have more uh, magical experiences. So there's different people. Uh, there are writers that we know of that write these fantastic uh, stories about figures that <laughs> have satanic qualities. So there's a whole um, zeitgeist in the Enlightenment period that are reflecting sympathies for the demonic. Absolutely. Um, None of them codify Satanism as a religion or um, even philosophy, uh, but there are certainly those that are entertaining the idea that if you tell me what I'm doing is satanic, I'm going to own it, whatever that means. And often what they're labeling as satanic have certain qualities of um, anti-establishment, um, autonomy, individualism. So these qualities are there, even if they're not in the same way that LaVey does it. We don't have a group that self-identifies as uh, satanic that are religious, no. We have certain also um, aristocrats that are having sexy parties <laughs> with uh, hey, no. themes of the devil. Yeah, they sound kind of fun. Um, uh, but even then, uh, they weren't necessarily um, this, you know, it was more about sticking it to the church and showing them that as wealthy aristocrats that they were kind of untouchable. And if they could have a an orgy with you know booze and nude people in the name of the devil, they were going to do it. Fuck, That's, <laughs> I'm going to plan that for next weekend. God damn. Uh, well, let me, let me ask you where this where do you think this comes from this this need because I have it too this need to want to put some real ancient history into what we fat you know. Okay, maybe I'm I'm going to try not to answer my own question like a douchebag here. Um, when uh, trying to lay a little groundwork for my thought process growing up um we we live in a culture that defines everything just as you said that is not popular or is maybe taboo as being evil or the devil or satanic depending on the the group that's referring to it and so we are brought up in this atmosphere of an existing presence of darkness and evil so when uh for me when i when i first i started identifying with it i always had this thought that it it was forever like it, it was this persistent thing throughout all of human culture um that existed and so when we uh discover the church of satan and we discover that 1966 was year one i don't i don't know there's there's a a need or a desire or or some form of a want to have it be older and more ancient than it is uh, because I don't know if that adds authority or, or if that makes it more exciting or, or whatever. What, what, what do you think about that? Well, um, my sense is um, first to acknowledge that I think um, having mentioning or at least trying to find uh, precedents for, the, for Satanism 
certainly is part of an inherent uh, human need to look for legitimacy and authority. And one of the ways mm -hmm. to do that is to say, here's all this stuff that uh, came before. My second point, though, is it really, we have to remember that we very much, we as Satanists and Satanism in general, is very much a product of Western culture. Now, mm -hmm. there might be, um, you know, similar thoughts in uh, Eastern culture in some ways, but it's very different. So we are inheriting a very long tradition of what it means to um, be individuals. So the concept of the individual itself is really much a modern invention. So I don't necessarily know if, um, you know, pre-enlightenment, um, there would be very much an audience in the sense that there certainly could have been individuals that reflected some of the ideals. Whether or not they found a response to that, a strong one that um, compelled other people to sort of come along and respond to it, would be very different because the concept itself of what it means to be a soul person is a Western culture phenomenon. Um, I like to tell students, actually, when I'm trying to introduce this idea that Eastern cultures are vastly different in how they look at individual choice and autonomy is that Western culture says the individual choice, the individual experience supersedes that of the collective. And Eastern cultures as a whole, generally broad, broad strokes, will say the collective has much more emphasis than the individual. You as the individual can disrupt the long-term uh, well-being of the collective um, and therefore you weigh your choices as an individual in a different way. It does not supersede. You would be considered selfish, and um, not only selfish, but it would be shameful for your entire family. So here, you have a, a crazy drunk uncle who everybody knows is into weird stuff, maybe he's a convict, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't shame the whole family. Did you look up my family? Uh, <laughs> I have a similar family. I won't say names, but there's... But what my um, crazy uncle does doesn't necessarily affect my chances to be admitted to my university. There are Eastern cultures where that's very different. What one family member does <laughs> can influence the entire family. So the concept of shame as the collective, as you are your group, very, very different. So when I think of historical and what that means, I don't forget that Western history has particular things to say about what it means to be an individual, that we, are, that we do respond to this idea. We are not outside of our own history as much as we like to think we are. And I think yeah. it helps us to think that we are. To me, it makes me feel more powerful to think that I am, but I cannot forget that anybody who knows, <laughs> I cannot forget that I am also a product of my own history. And one of the reasons I respond to the idea of autonomy and individualism is because I am a product of Western history. And that's, and not, wow. even though not everybody responds to it, at least it's familiar to us. We know what it means to talk about those ideas. So in the sense of, there's constantly a balance between um, what we inherit uh, in broad historical strokes, broad historical threads of ideas that are mm -hmm. in, in the enveloping culture, and how we then as individuals interpret those broad ideas it's from the macro that's, to the micro. That's amazing. It's, I, I've never really broken it out quite like that, so that's pretty, pretty interesting. I'm glad uh, I could help. 
Well, I'm sure that I, and here's the thing, like I get these questions from other people. Some of them I parallel in, I wonder. So uh, that's, but I, I've never, I, honestly, I've never thought about viewing, which is ironic because I try to put perspective into everything. Um, viewing history through Western eyes versus through Eastern eyes. Uh, I mean, that, that's that's like a new thought for me so i'm gonna have to uh, i'm gonna have to chew on that for a while well i would say that um it's helpful and it's not as if it's it's just me thinking this it's part of how uh, scholars nowadays look at it the fancy word if you want to know for it is post-colonial critique which essentially means i knew that you didn't have to tell me <laughs> Some, some word. It essentially means maybe Western scholars need to take their head out of their own ass a little bit and look at how, <laughs> and look at how other philosophers and other thinkers view the world um, because Western thought dominates, you know, so there's no question and that it, it dominates and it influences others. So it's this idea of um, trying to view um, other cultures differently. And I find it also helps my students when I'm introducing something from, I'm not an Eastern uh, thought scholar at all. Mm -hmm. I do like to introduce certain ideas just so that they have that moment of, of turning their head around and going, oh, right. And what's always been interesting to me is that students whose parents were from the East, so they may be uh, immigrants, maybe first generation or second generation, don't have a problem with it because they say, of course, because <laughs> they already yeah. live in two social spheres. There's the sphere that they experience in outside in the social world, and then there's the expectations of what it means to be the children of Chinese immigrants. You know, so they, they know very much what it means to have this conflict between the collective versus the individual. Wow. Well, based on this discussion alone, I am really, really excited for <laughs> having you on again and doing another uh, episode of Unorthodoxy with Wich Zavte. Wich Zavte, thank you so much. Um, can you can you let people know uh, where they could follow you on social networks or how they can submit questions to you? Um, yeah, so, um, well, right now, if they wanted to email me, that would be zaftigworks at gmail.com. That's Z-A-F-T-I-G-W-O-R-K-S at gmail.com. Um, I'll set up a, a Facebook page um, soon and possibly you could put a link and that way they could um, uh, reach me that way if they wanted to. And if um, we have an ongoing session, there'll be more and more information available about what I do, um, uh, what I can offer, my studies, my research into Satanism, um, that could be uh, ongoing. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, I would like to thank you very much for your time. And again, I'm really looking forward to our conversations in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been fun. Bojack Horseman. All right, so I I, uh, I wake up every morning at 5.30 and I run on my treadmill uh, for about a half an hour. 
So I can cover uh, about three miles in that time. Uh, no, I'm not super fast. So while I do that, in order to not go insane because I don't enjoy running that much, I really just do it for the health benefits, um, I watch Netflix on my TV. And we have this little TV set up with a little um, Google, uh, oh, what is it called? The Chrome thumb drive thing, which I just stream right from my phone, Netflix onto the TV. It's actually a really cool little setup. But um, uh, Chromecast is what's called. So I go through a lot of Netflix shows running throughout the week. And I just came across Bojack Horseman as it was uh, recently released here. So this is a, um, a cartoon sitcom series based around the idea of this half-horse, half-man called Bojack Horseman. So he had a sitcom in the 90s, and this is sort of his life 20 years later. And uh, he's kind of this washed-up, uh, very much suffering from his fame-tortured figure. And his voice is actually Will Arnett. And so if you're a fan of humor, like I am... You will definitely love it. And this has a lot of really amazing comedians uh, in it. So you've got Amy Sedaris, Alison Brie, you've got Patton Oswalt, uh, even Stanley Tucci's in it. I mean, this has a, a just star-studded cast. And so I went into this expecting, wow, this is going to be really, really funny, and I'm going to really enjoy this. But And I, I measure whether or not a show is good, and this is maybe not the best way of doing it, by whether or not I look at the clock on the treadmill, <laughs> like how much time I have left. And I find myself looking at that timer a lot more watching BoJack Horseman than I do, say, watching The Fifth Element, for example. Like, I genuinely, it, I want to like it. So, And have you guys ever run into this where... You want so badly to like something because you respect the people that are in it or you respect the people who have done it that <laughs> probably this is how people feel about my book um, that, you know, they like me more than they like my work <laughs> or maybe even this podcast. Oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. What if that's the case uh, where you, you just so badly want to like it that you keep fighting through watching it, even though you don't really enjoy it? I mean, I... I watched, like, for example, I watched Four Rooms, which is a really, really great show, and you should see it if you haven't. It's an older one. And I find myself just laughing out loud. But I watch BoJack Horseman, and I'm just like, hmm, that was clever, or, hmm, yeah, I see what they meant there. Huh, that was funny. Like, I really love the, the stars in this show, but I really don't love this series. So, I don't know. If, if you don't mind a distraction from doing something else, I would recommend watching it. I mean, this is not an Archer. <laughs> Let me just say that. It's not even Adventure Brothers. But it's, it's worth watching if you have, you know, if you're doing something else. But it's definitely not worth watching if you're just going to sit down all self-contained and say, this is my drink, this is my snack, I'm going to watch a show, and it will be this. No, you do not want to do that. It will, you will not enjoy it. But then, okay, give me your take on this, <laughs> if you guys have the time. Because I was recommended Sharknado by some people and then when it was recommended to me like some people who listened to the podcast that it was mentioned chimed in too 
and said how good it was. Not because it was good, but because it was bad. So, you know, they enjoyed the, the goofiness of it. I could not sit through it. I, I just, I do not have the patience for shit that is meant to be shit. I would rather watch something good. I mean, I, w- I would rather watch Boardwalk Empire, Game of Thrones, Mad Men. I, I, I don't, I'll even stretch that out and say The Walking Dead. But I do not want to watch sharks being thrown into the air by a tornado. <laughs> it was so bad. If you haven't seen it yet, please do yourself a favor and just don't. It was so bad. But uh, BoJack Horseman is not as bad as Sharknado, but it's kind of on par. Where it, I don't think it's supposed to be bad. I think it's genuinely supposed to be good. It's just not really that good. The jokes are just... It's all camp. It's all expected. You could literally sit in a room and say, Okay, I'm going to write a script for BoJack Horseman. What would happen to a guy 20 years after being a major sitcom success? And you could completely write a whole season yourself and it would be exactly what was released <laughs> like it may be better but exactly what was released so i don't get it i mean even i think even stephen colbert is a producer on this show i don't know it has every chance of being so amazingly good how there's got to be so, i wish there i wish i had a co-host today so i could kind of banter about this there has to be something about if you have too much good, it's going to fail. Like, if you have too many talented, quality actors and producers, then there's no way it can be a success. Because th- all of the good talent equals a really bad movie. And this actually may be why, you know, the star-studded sort of comedies or movies that come out are always so horrible all the time. Because a good movie needs one or two really good elements to really draw you in. A bad movie just needs a whole bunch of really good elements to confuse you and and conflict and fight for attention. Maybe that's what it is, actually. Either way, man, I, I don't suggest it. My wife goes to work while I'm still running, and so she comes in, she's like, you're, you're still watching this? I'm like, I just want to like it. <laughs> I want to like it so bad. Oh, it just makes my run so much longer. It's the longest half hour <laughs> ever. Uh, anyway, that's my stunning review for BoJack Horseman. Uh, I mean, it, it really is expected. Like, all of the jokes... They're just like, yeah, okay, I, I saw that coming. I heard that before. There's nothing new. And all we have to do is look at the existing um, lives of former TV stars to know exactly what's coming up next season. It's just, it's all so just bleh. But, you know, what can you do? I still like Will and it, though. Everyone has to have bad shows, right? Love that guy. All right, that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I know if, if for no other reason, unorthodoxy was worth it. So thank you for sticking through it. Uh, if you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, critiques, suggestions, or just general comments, email me at info at ninecentspodcast.com. You can visit the Satanet, Satanet? Satanet Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Those are the social networks I post on the most. So if you're there, say hi.
You can download the show Mondays via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, YouTube. Look for us there. I've been saying Spotify for a very long time. And though Spotify picked up one of my episodes, it didn't pick up all of them. I don't know how it works. I've tried to submit them all, but it didn't end up working. So I had one of you listeners who uh, heard that and looked and verified what I already knew. And uh, thank you for saying it and emailing me and letting me know because now I can delete this. So here it is. Listen. And it's gone. So you won't hear me saying that anymore. Um, You can subscribe via 9 cents. (laughs) I have had nothing to drink at all today. I've been making pizza dough and brats and putting together trampolines. So I don't know why I can't speak. Uh, You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents. And don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. I've gotten a couple more ratings. Thank you so much, guys. I really do appreciate it. And girls. I really appreciate it. Uh, Leave me a comment. You know, tell me how good or bad I'm doing. I like it. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And remember, the only way that we're going to continue doing this stuff is if you share it. Share 9 cents with your friends on social networking, via email, or smoke signals to the... Native Americans? I don't know who else knows smoke. I don't even think Native Americans know smoke signals. Does anyone, can anyone decode a smoke signal nowadays? I would like to know. I'm genuinely, is it like just Morse code with smoke? Wouldn't that be weird if Morse code and smoke signals shared the same language? Like, completely separately? (laughs) And of course, smoke signals may just be a total white person manufacturing for like, uh, the Lone Ranger TV show? I don't even know. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> what am I talking about? Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell, who is soon to be drunk. I am going to go drink my shame, <laughs> my retarded shame away. Uh, until next week, people, hail Satan! Bye. Uh-huh.